What's up, you'll hear it. Hey, this is Bob Deboo, the host of the Upright Citizens podcast. Got a question for you. How would you like to get inside the mind of one of the most recorded musicians of all time? Well, here's your chance. The legendary bassist Ron Carter will join the Open Studio community on June 14th for an exclusive one-time-only live mentor session. You don't want to miss this. To learn the secrets to the maestro's iconic sound, gain insights to his unique musical mind in real time, pick his brain on his illustrious career, and get answers that'll propel your music to new heights. Join today and unlock your free 14-day trial at openstudiojazz.com. Then you'll be able to not only join the maestro in this exclusive conversation, but dig into his brilliant course, Blueprint for Jazz Bass, and so much more. So sign up now. Peace. Hey, Adam. Yo. Are you excited to be back on the podcast today? I'm always excited to be on the podcast. Today, you're my guest, and I'm your guest on the You'll Hear It podcast. What? I have some hard-hitting questions. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear Podcast. Daily music advice coming at you. Coming at you today, again, live from Instagram. Our Instagram Q&As have been so popular that we thought we would uh, continue on. Our, our podcast listeners are digging them. Yep. And we're, we're digging them too. And we're, we're, we're happy it. to connect here with the beautiful people of Instagram. Instagram is the most, uh, the prettiest people on any social media site, for sure. Well, you is know, it though? The, is it actually though? Or is it just, I, that's I where mean, we, we all put our best face forward on the on the. That's IG. where we put our best face forward. <laughs> it's not like the, the, the Twitter trolls that just are <laughs> very funny or good quippy writers or right. or the Facebook grandmas with the pictures of the grandkids. This, right. is, this is where all the beautiful people go. Right, or the TikTok where it's all about the dance moves, you know. Yeah, I don't. I still don't know what that is. <laughs> That's coming soon. Coming soon. All right, so let's get into this because we got some good questions. I believe. Why don't you kick it off, Adam? Yeah, our first question is from Lev. Lev asks, "I'm looking to expand my vocabulary and creativity in altered dominant voicings and lines." Mm. Advice. So yeah, um, altered dominant voicings and lines. Well, first of all, like a great way to start with altered dominant voicings. There's an easy voicing that you can do in a couple different, actually two different inversions that gets you that the, probably the most like um, pendantic altered dominant sound, right? Just the most common basic Bob altered dominant sound. And if you think, Lev, you're, in, you're on a C7 altered, right? You want to play the shell in your left hand. So E and B flat, right? The third and the seventh. And then in your right hand, you can play um, one or both of the following triads. A flat major or G flat major. And you can do these in different inversions. So you could have in your left hand E on the bottom and B flat on the top or B flat on the bottom and E on the top. And then you can do whatever of the three major triad inversions for the A flat and the G flat in your right hand. And you can actually play those together. They sound really good walking down or walking up, leading to like, again, in C7 altered, you know, leading to an F minor. That sounds really, really good. I think that's kind of the first way into, especially hearing how altered dominant voicings can sound not bad. I was going to say best, but the most common that you hear, right? That's like when I think what's an altered dominant voicing that like E B flat and then an A flat triad in my, my right hand. That's like basic Bob altered dominant right there. Right. And that's, so that would give you your sharp nine, your flat 13. But I think more importantly, as you pointed out, 
that's giving you, you know, a very definitive shape that is is foundational because it's the triad, that A flat triad up there, and you can, right. you know, you can put it in different inversions, and you have the same elements, but but can be surprisingly different sound when you're using it as a voicing. But I think what's important is to think about the altered sound uh, in kind of a holistic way. So we're thinking about the voicings. We're thinking about the melodic content that comes out of the shapes that make up the different voicings that we can use. And then we're also thinking about and trying to hear really what the function of the altered uh, altered scale, altered sound, and the positioning of it where and where, where it's coming from and where it's going. And so as we're working on this, a lot of times we get so stuck in just playing the altered scale, working on that, working on voicing, sitting there stationary. And by, by its very na- nature, probably the most effective use of the altered sound, the altered scale, the altered chord, the altered voicings, is as a transition and setting up tension and release. So yep. it's hard to do this when you're, when you're trying to learn something, especially when it's in tricky keys or you're not sure about it or you're having trouble hearing it. But always try to take that other step, slow down a little bit and think about different places you can go to. And I know we talk about it going to a minor, but it can certainly go to a major. It can go to a minor with a major seven. It can resolve in different places and really understanding how that works as you work out these voicings and these shapes and these melodic patterns you know, to work out where they're going to end up. It behooves you to do that as you're learning them, not just wait until you have it and then say, oh, now I'm going to think about them in context. That's a great point. And the cool thing about actually using these triads, like you said, they're so universal that you can use them there in the voicings left, but you can also, this, you know, you talked about lines, right? Expanding your dominant, your alter dominant voicings and lines. This, this is your like way in for lines as well. These triad pairs is what we're calling them. And you can go, you know, again, basic Bob and just like do, 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 da, do, do, da, do, do, da, do, do, just down, going down, up, going up, but then experiment with combinations and then experiment with what we're calling triad plus one, where you can borrow one note from one of the triads and add it to the other triad. And now you have like a four note shape and then you can do all sorts of do, 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 da, different combinations like that. This is when you hear those people who have modern sounding lines, that's what they're doing. They're using these sort of triadic or pentat, I mean, it sounds pentatonic, but that's really too simplistic of an approach. It's, it's really more of like a shaped approach to their lines. Yeah. And this is what they're using. It's like this kind of altered sound where you would use two triads uh, as triad pairs and, and create uh, thematic developments between those triads. That's what that sound is. Yeah, and I was I I've lost it now, but someone else had a question about is basically they were like is bebop relevant still in 2020, and um, I think be, you know instances like this, first of all, it's absolutely relevant, but and we can talk about that maybe as our next question in general. But I would say as it pertains to this, using you know bebop type lines, but with you, you know you you called it you know that really that modern sound layering in. Uh, the altered mm-hmm. scale, the diminished, um, you know, triad pairs, these kind of things is, is one of the most effective ways where you can take bebop rhythms, bebop sensibility, bebop resolution, you know, be- the, the real spirit of bebop in the music. I mean, a lot, you know, bebop is not relevant in 2020 if you want to put on a beret sideways and, and be like, hey, Hepcat, let me meet you across town, old buddy. You know, it's not about that. It's about... Are you sure? Because I still do that sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, Me and Marty could, Daly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be a fun <laughs> thing. But in terms of like, how do you sound modern and how do you sound 
like you're rooted in bebop at the same time. These are some of the like little techniques and tricks that can lead to that. But you never want to get stuck in them. You want to accumulate the vocabulary, accumulate more of the spirit of bebop. See, I'm answering two yeah. questions at once. Bam! That's how we do it here at the podcast. Well, no, no, no. We can we can move to this question because it's it, I think it's relevant to using the altered scale, you know, uh, and and how to get like you know between a modern sound and this bebop relevant. Like every great modern player. Near, I don't want to put a blanket statement on it, but many of our favorite modern players uh, had some kind of cursory understanding of bebop. I mean, it's in everybody's playing. It's in your playing. It's in my playing. It's in Jason Moran's playing. It's in Robert Glasper's playing a little. Like, it's in everybody has some kind of understanding of what it is and a basic sense of how to do it if they if they need to. Because just like if you were a a contemporary composer, you would have to understand, you know, some basic counterpoint point, uh, to, to get to like, you know, Steve Reich, right? Like those two things, you, you can't get to Steve Reich or Philip Glass or beyond that modern music, um, without understanding a little bit of, you know, counterpoint and Haydn and Beethoven, you know what I mean? Like going yeah. through the, the masters and it's kind of the same thing here where it's like, you know, our favorite modern players are our favorites because they've digested their favorite parts of the history of the music. And not everybody knows everything about everything. Don't get that idea. Like I have to know stride and I have to know bebop and I have to know post-bop and then I have to know modal and I have to know big band. And no, not everybody knows it. Not everybody's an expert on everything. In fact, a lot of people aren't an expert on much of anything, or they're an expert on a very uh, specific thing from, from part of the history of the music. And they just use that as part of their modern idea like you know peter you're playing to me has you have a, a, a nice bebop influence but it's just mixed with all these great modern lines there's definitely a lot of herbie and chick in your playing as well but like the bebop's there like it's there's no doubt about it when kelly is there monk is there you know bud powell is there all those influences are there charlie parker is there um it's just mixed with all the other stuff that happened after it yeah and actually i would you know your your initial statement you altered it from you know, every player to most, but in thinking about it, could we name a, a, con- a contemporary, a, a jazz musician that we all know that's recording or playing, that's kind of known, that's doing it now that does not have some, some foundation in bebop. I don't think we could name somebody that, that no. doesn't. There's obviously different degrees of, of, of how much you can be aware of it in his or her playing as you're listening. But I mean, you know, like you mentioned, Jason Moran, he might be. Well, actually, no. I mean, it, it would be very apparent as modern of a player as he is in that bebop. I, I hear it. Foundation. For sure, I hear it one hundred percent. I mean, every almost. It's it's not if it's not on the surface. Some of it is certainly implied. You know, and even if it's just the spirit or the understanding of how some of the music is made, it's definitely there. It's it's like I said, it's such a fundamental ingredient to what jazz has become. It would be like writing anything in the English language and never having read Shakespeare at all. Right. You know, that's just such a foundational thing that you should probably at least read Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet yeah. or somewhere. The basic, you know what I mean? So uh, I feel like that's that's kind of the analogous situation here to bebop and, and modern jazz. Yeah, I see here the question was from Kay Yori. Be- bebop's still relevant in 2020. So your um, analogy to Shakespeare, it's like, you know, is Hamlet still relevant? Yes, it's a universal story. It that, al- now, is it's it, always, it always will be. Is Shakespeare and Hamlet still relevant as in 
let's do the plays exactly as they were done with all men playing the women's parts and pretend like this is the 16th century or whatever it was, 17th century England. No, then it's not relevant. But like, how do you yeah. take it and you see all these very, uh, um, you know, innovative Shakespeare or, or uh, theater companies that update things and they've got guns instead of swords and wh- whatever. That's how you make it relevant. It, you know, we're not trying to go into a time warp, but we're trying to bring something to life. You don't even have to bring it to life. Great art stays alive, right? So, well, that's the thing is, is that like, of all, in all great art forms, there's just a, a, a moment where an artist passes a threshold to be canon, essentially, right? So, so like, you know, maybe in the mid or late 70s, the Beatles were not as relevant. And then there was a, some point where we all decided, like, wait, all these records that they made were so incredible that they're just going to be relevant for most music from here on out. Just right. because of the influence they had on a generation of musicians that then have you know, whatever the Beatles sound like in their pop music. And it just keeps going and going and going until, and then we look back reverentially on it. And it's the same thing with Bach and Beethoven or Count Basie or, Bach, or Charlie Beethoven, Parker. Basie and Bebop. Come on, man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Picasso or whatever. Like there's a, you cross a threshold, you're one of the greats, you're in the canon. And it's not like you have to, have to, have to, have to learn it. Um, do my favorite part here, Peter, is that when you're actually like, your fork is hitting the microphone as it goes. <laughs> but not the podcast mic. I'm projecting that. Sorry, man. Just totally rude, man. Totally rude. Well, if this was the first we might, time. We might be getting too comfortable on our live streams. I think so, man. It's just part of life, man. It's part of life. All right. Well, that was a great question. Thanks, Kayori. And uh, I got the next one. Can we do one more? We got time for Let's one more? Let's do one more. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Asher asks, any words of advice for keeping a balance of learning tunes building skills and writing. Mm. Okay. So we have been talking a lot of recently, we've been answering a lot of similar questions to this, which are, and and we'll talk specifically about this learning tunes, uh, building skills and writing, but just the general concept of balancing and not getting overwhelmed with all the different aspects of music and our instruments that we need to work on. Um, knowing how much to do of each one, knowing on any particular day which aspects to work on, what order do you do them? And I think they all kind of fall under the umbrella of not being overwhelmed, even though we're talking about balance here. But I think what we don't usually get is give me some ideas on things to practice. I've been practicing and now I've run out of things to practice. We rarely, if ever, get that question, you know. So there is this blanket cons- uh, um, feeling of, of being overwhelmed. I actually think it's a, a little bit related to just the world is very overwhelming right now. And so I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, music is such a re- refuge for us at any time um, because it's so pure. It's so um, humbling. It's so uh, inspirational. It's so invigorating. And it's, it's, a, it's a way to connect, you know, to, to, other humans and spirituality and other times bebop time you know i mean like it's a way to tap into something that's so positive that it's a real antidote to negativity in the world we know that and so i think during this time when everything can seem so overwhelming it's okay for us to go to music and to maybe let our guard down a little bit and let our i hate to even say standards because you know i love getting dogmatic even on saturdays Mm -hmm. but i think this is a period where we can kind of be like you know what it's okay if we get a little bit out of balance in our practice it's okay if we don't hit all the scales in the way we normally need to because we we need the 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 spiritual components of music even more than we normally would i think and just the mental um 
the mental sanity that, that, that music can bring. I mean, they've proven this. You know, you play music for, for rats and stuff that are stressed out and they, they get better. And, you know, what are we if not rats running around a maze, you know? So I think that that's the first thing is just like relax and know that time that you spend at your instrument, especially during this time, is going to heal you in a number of different ways. You're going to progress. You're going to you're not going to be Chick Corea today, no matter what you do, no matter what your balance is. But you can be moving along and and, you know, really, really just sitting and bathing in the beauty of music every day and progressing at the same time. It's very possible. But you don't need to have perfect balance and exponential growth every day and in fact that's not even a realistic thing during the best of times so that's kind of the first thing i would just say now um learning tunes building skills and writing this is something that you and i both have a lot of um experience with and what kind of has worked for me with the writing is i try to just balance that time or spend that time on that when i'm really feeling inspired to write something um now there were times earlier in my you know in my in my lineage that I was just writing every day because I needed the discipline of writing and I was trying to get better as a composer and I was trying to write more and I was like I don't have enough ideas and and Ray Brown said it's just like write every day if you want to learn how to write write a tune every day for 30 days see if you come up with anything good if nothing else you'll be in the habit of writing so I think wait Ray Brown was doing like a 30 day challenge Ray Brown was the kid was was the OG on the 30 day challenge man so ahead of his time in so many ways yeah yeah but then I think once you're having you know ideas and you can kind of keep a catalog of them, like I just keep a notebook and I'll come back to different ideas and, and, and revisit them and try to turn them into tunes. But um, I'll generally just write whenever I, I have a, a, uh, an impetus to get something out. And I'll prioritize that over everything else because you never know when that's going to come. That might come once a month. You know, if you're lucky, it might come once a year. It comes every day if you're extremely lucky, Stevie Wonder or something. But I mean, you know, there's nothing better than creating and writing something to put out into the world. But you want to do that when you've got something to say, not just when you're having to go through the discipline of doing it. So that kind of becomes the balance for me. Um, The learning tunes like that you can do every day. Like you can be working on that every day. If you're not feeling particularly disciplined maybe only spend 10 minutes on a day but i think that's a good thing to always be doing because building your repertoire is it's just one of those activities that helps um you professionally it helps you in your ear training helps you in your musicianship it helps you to be a better jazz musician that's beautiful man yeah and i would just add briefly to this uh, i think peter covered it all but just to add one more thing and that's uh, a, a key factor in this for you might be to just think about Think about the fact that you're a musician and that you will be for the rest of your life and that we, you know, life is short and, and we don't want to uh, we don't want to to leave you know anything on the table. But at the same time, realize that you don't have to hit everything every day, all day. You can go to where you're feeling it and then realize that in a couple of weeks you might not be feeling that anymore and it's time to work on some skills and then after that maybe it's time to learn five new tunes and after that it's time to write some new tunes because you just absorbed five new compositions from someone else you know and and it just keeps going around and around for and you're going to look back 5 years and you're going to have a stable of new tunes you're going to have a stable of of tunes you've learned and you're going to have uh hopefully a, a complete set of skills that you're constantly refining and and new skills that you're constantly adding and that's just how it goes that never changes i'm what you know the the kind of practice i do is pretty much the same as it's been since i was a teenager as far as like i'm always trying to add skills or refine the skills i have or come up with more 
uh, more ways to do simple things that I already know how to do and write more tunes. I've been doing that for 25 years. And I think every professional musician is always constantly doing that and circling back. And then you go through phases where you write a whole album in two months. And then you go through phases where you don't write anything for a year. Or you go through phases where you, you learn every scale you could possibly know. It's just, it's always an ebb and flow. And then you're, you know, it, it just, that just never stops. So just accept the fact that it's never going to be as balanced as you can write it out on paper. And that's fine. Yeah. And I would say that, that how you can judge the efficacy of your ongoing practice in terms of balance is are you making progress in at least one of these areas each day it's you're, mm. you're, the, the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs are going to come and go and and as they should that that adds to your story um but what you don't want to be doing is you know working on different areas and not making progress anywhere it's okay to just make progress one day on the technical side because sometimes like our brains are just that's where we're at or or it's okay on a day to just write 10 bars of your next great song or even write one thing and that's that's a good day and that's it yeah that's a great day and and don't beat yourself up that is a really productive day just consider this like what you want to avoid from this because i see where your thought pattern here i i don't see this question so i don't know the person's name but i see how it it's, it will start to spin out of control to where all of a sudden you feel overwhelmed. You have these three things. Oh my gosh, everybody in New York knows a thousand tunes and I can't do drop two in every key. And I've ne- you know, all this, I, write, I haven't written a tune in a Guilty week or whatever. Charged. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> no, but then you, but then all of a sudden you go, I don't, I'm not, just screw it. I'm not practicing today. Right. Right. And then you don't do anything. And then that's where, and then two days go by, three days, two weeks go by, no. two months, all of a sudden no you're bueno. in a hole. No right. Bueno. And you, no bueno. Yeah. Just do what makes you feel good if that's... And you're going to have days where you feel like challenging yourself and like, okay, I'm really taking on altered scales here today or yeah. whatever. That's gonna, we always have days like that. I just went on a run where I, as soon as I started running, I was like, ah, oh, I feel terrible. And I was just like, all right, I could quit or I'll just do 10 minutes. I'll just run 10 minutes, see where it hits me. And then by like minute eight, I was like... I feel pretty awesome. And then I ran 25 minutes. You know what I mean? It's like that's that happens all the time. So just get to the instrument. Go for it. That's right. That's great stuff. Um, all right, Instagram. Thank you guys so much for the questions. Um, we're always having fun here. You can meet us every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the Open Studio Instagram for a little live. You'll hear it. Um, tell, tell the good folks here about our sponsors, Adam. You're so good at it. Well, our sponsor, our, our primary sponsor is Open Studio. Go to openstudiojazz.com and check out all our courses. Uh, we have a brand new course called uh, Rhythm Section Workout, which is with the Peter Martin Trio. Peter Martin, Ruben Rogers on bass, and Gregory Hutchinson on drums. You guys cover uh, eight awesome tunes. There's these amazing play-alongs for any instrument. And it's really one of the most, and uh, just it, close your ears, earmuffs. It's one of the most, uh, I think... Um, the greatest working trio in modern jazz in the past uh, couple decades. And you get to kind of hear their insights into how they accompany people, how they create arrangements on the fly. And then you get to play it with them. And it's really cool. Again, cover your ears. And everything, every brilliant thing that Peter Martin plays is transcribed. And every brilliant thing that Ruben Rogers plays is transcribed. And every uh, seriously brilliant thing, not to put slack on, on you guys, but <laughs> that Hutch plays is transcribed. Yeah. And so you're going to want to check that out that's a uh, rhythm section work workout good stuff well till tomorrow you'll hear it